You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Well, listen, I'm excited to talk today because salvation, we've been talking about soteriology, right? Salvation. And that's a pretty important topic in the life of a Christ follower. At some point, we believe salvation occurred or is occurring. And even in the perception of Christ followers of the world and the world's perception of Christ followers, salvation is a big topic. And the way we are perceived or judged is a lot of times comes back to salvation. So this is an exciting topic to me. And I'm excited to kind of recap a lot of the stuff that Joe and Greg have laid down. But first, I want to tell a story. Um, anyone here done yoga? Yeah? Anyone totally opposed to yoga? I think it's... Yeah, some, some people, sure. No problem. Uh, well, I was in Thailand once, and we kind of had to go down to Malaysia to reactivate our visa and get out of the country so we could come back in. And I met this woman there, kind of looked like this. I got this off the World Wide Web, so it's not her. Um, but she, she was selling beads, and we were doing this evangelism-type stuff and presenting the gospel. And we met this woman, and uh, she was really curious about our faith. And come to find out, she had left Europe, come to Malaysia to seek truth. And she just wanted to find what was real, what God was real. So she told us this story that every night she would sit down in her room for maybe an hour or two hours, and she would meditate, just, just like this. And she would choose a God and meditate on this God and just say the name. So for an hour or two, she would sit there and say, Buddha, Buddha. Or she would chant out these Hindu gods and, and Allah. And finally, Jesus would come on one night of the week. And she would just sit there and meditate on Jesus' name and just say, Jesus, Jesus. And she told us that every time she would say Jesus' name and meditate on him, she couldn't explain it, but an overwhelming peace would come over her, and she would start weeping and crying. And she said, all I could feel was love. All I could feel was love. And so we were really excited about this. Great. We met a Christ follower. So we said, do you have a Bible? Can we get you a Bible? And she sort of went, no, 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 no. I don't know about that. I don't know about the Bible thing. I don't know about the church thing. All I know is that it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So I I tell that story just to kind of set up the context of salvation, because that's maybe a different approach to salvation. Maybe she's saved, maybe she's not saved. I'm not sure how you would understand that. Um, But that's a story we're going to come back to. But let's read some scripture and start off. Open up your Bible. Joe is in the habit of not putting the scripture up on the screen, which I think is cool. We're adults and Mill Sunday School nerd adults, so we can read the word. So take a second and get to Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little bit differently. I'm going to read the scripture once. And then in your table, you guys are going to pray together using the scripture as a guide. So that might look something like this. Um, It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Lord, we devote ourselves to you in prayer. And we are watchful for opportunities. We're thankful for this day and for the snow. The next verse goes on to say, pray for us that God may open a door for our message. Lord, open up a door that we can proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So you're going to use this scripture as a guide. And in your group, you're going to pray for each other after I read it. And when it gets kind of awkward, I'll end in prayer, okay? So Colossians 4 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 
Amen. So go ahead and use that. Take 30 seconds. Someone can lead it and and go ahead and pray through that real quick. So Father, we do thank you for this day and we pray that you would open our eyes to the mystery of who you are and invite us to participate in the whole kingdom that you're, you're bringing now and has already come in a little ways and is yet to come. So we ask you to come into our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, who's down with the snow? Who likes it? Yeah. Um, anyone got any cool activities they did a few days back when we got some snow? Shovel. Went to work. Sweet. Awesome. Okay, I got an activity. Um, we knew we had work the next day, but there was snow in Colorado Springs, and I grew up in Monument where there's just tons of snow. So when we get snow in the springs, it's like, yes, the good old days. So come about midnight, I called up some friends, and we decided to hook up a tow rope uh, to the back of our truck and throw it in four-wheel drive. And we spent probably an hour and a half or two hours on Pikes Peak Avenue, uh, kind of like wakeboarding, but on snow with snowboards. So, so that was really fun, and that's kind of what I'm hoping for today is that we get more and more of that. I love snow. Here's the deal for today. If you have, every time I listen to Joe speak, I have these thoughts in my mind where I'm like, man, I want to expound on that just a little bit. If you could just kind of say this thing, um, that would help a little bit. And maybe also, I I got this question I'm thinking through, and I always want to get it out. And I sometimes forget if I don't take notes or write it down on my phone. So today, as much as you want to, you're welcome to get it out. And maybe we'll call on you, maybe we won't. We are going to have some discussion questions, but if you want to overemphasize a point, or if you want to make a comment, or you want to ask a question, I'm hoping we can all kind of teach each other today, and, and dialogue together, which is kind of why I asked Aaron to move up, move you guys up a little bit, because we're just here together, so any point in the day you say, uh, maybe I could just go ahead and do that, and just interrupt me. I said that last time, no one did it, but we'll try this again. So here's what's going on this week. We're going to work on the groundwork of Joe and Greg. These are, look at these goobers. They're both just big goobers, really, if you know them. They talked about salvation in these contexts of grace and works and what is original sin and why do we need salvation. So I'm going to take a few minutes and recap what they talked about because we need to hear something more than once usually to get it in us. And so we're just going to go through some of the stuff they said so that in the future when we're talking to our friends, our spouses, our parents, co-workers about this topic of salvation, we have some good language to use. And we have some of these things that we've learned over the last months to actually translate them into what we believe about what is true. Cool? So Joe opened up and said, salvation is, and repentance is in there, and confession is in there, and baptism is somewhere in there. But he gave us this working definition of four things that is salvation. I think there are other ways to define salvation, but I think this is a pretty good way. So we're going to go with this. He said, conversion is that point where I realize I need salvation. I need it. Justification, he said, it's just as if I'd never sinned. We have Christ taking that blame for us. Sanctification is the process or maybe the point in which we are made holy, however you look at that. And then finally, there's glorification, where we enter into the rewards of our faith. Remember this? Yeah? Was there anything that you guys wanted to think about with these four things, because we're going to break them down a little bit later. Okay. No, we're good. Greg Hampton, goober number two, talked about original sin. And he asked the question, why do I need the blood of Jesus? He kept saying blood of Jesus over and over again. And it was just like, man, why do I need the blood of Jesus? He talked about Augustine and Pelagius and these ideas of, um, is it kind of works or are we born with sin 
or what, what's going on there? He asked these questions. He said, when to become sinful? It's either possible to live a sinless life, but after we're born, we lose that, or we're never even given a chance. We're lost generationally, generationally by Adam. So that's what he talked about with Pelagius and Augustine. And ultimately, Greg made the point that I'm going to agree with today, and so these are the things we're holding on to for the rest of the message, is that fundamentally we believe all have fallen short of the glory of God, and we all sinned. We all need salvation. So we're going to, even if you don't believe that assumption, we're going to make that assumption today and stick to it for the rest of the talk. Cool? Questions there? Comments there? Okay, so that's what Greg said. Fundamentally, we believe we all fall short. And then the next week, Joe started to get in a little bit to works and grace. And we had this idea of even to just... uh, Invite Christ into your heart is a work in itself on this side of the spectrum. And on the other side of the spectrum, we said, no, it's by grace alone we are saved. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God uh, over here. And I I wanted to just kind of chill on this point for a second and uh, input some insight into America and the culture we live in. And this is, I think, one of the big stumbling blocks that we have in presenting the gospel to people and talking about salvation And I think one issue is that we in America, or maybe just culturally in the world right now, we have this idea that we can perform well enough that we don't need to be saved. Or that we're good enough that we deserve God's love. The question that both goobers asked is, saved from what? What do you mean? My son got, Greg told a story, knocked on the door. Saved from what? What did he get saved from? And Joe asked that question. Are you saved? Well, saved from what? I don't really know. I think I've been pretty good. I've never killed anyone. And um, I think as Christ followers, we have a pretty unique role in that we can help people be illuminated to the fact that they need to be saved. And how we do that is different. But as we're talking and thinking today, I would inquire you to invite God to just kind of search your heart. Because what's beautiful about the grace of God and the gospel is when our eyes and our hearts are open to what it is we need saved from, the gospel becomes just this incredible thing that is powerful and deep and profound. And we can communicate it and feel it and articulate it in a way that is, it's pretty eternal. It has an eternal quality to it, the way we talk. So Greg and Joe both talked about saved from what? So let's go back to Joe real quick. And this is where a discussion question is going to come in. So using this working definition of salvation, conversion, justification, sanctification, glorification, uh, the question I'm going to ask here in a second is, how long does salvation take? This woman in Malaysia is praying, and somehow Jesus comes over her, and now she just says, it's all about Jesus. I have another friend who has been working theologically and philosophically, and he, he doesn't quite believe in Christ, but he kind of believes in one God that's supreme. Um, and, you know, there's all these different ways of thinking about salvation. So one side of the room is going to illustrate this. This is the perspective of, like, I'm diving in, I'm going deep. <laughs> you jump off the edge in faith that God is going to catch you, and you're fully committed, you're saved. You say the prayer... You invite Jesus into your heart. I believe you are my Savior. And we kind of fall off into God's arms. And he catches us, of course, because it's faith and he's faithful. And you're saved. So this would be something like, hey, it was so cool. Last Friday, I was at the mill. And I have this friend named Steve. And he got saved. 
He wasn't saved before Friday, and now he is saved. He said the prayer, and it's great. He's saved, Steve. And over here, this would be something like this. This is my sister and I. Um, We look exactly the same. I know that. I'm older than her. And we like to rock climb together, and it's this beautiful process. This was in Arizona. I went to go visit her, and there's this cone that kind of comes up like this, this big rock pillar. And the top of it is about as round as this. So you're climbing up to stand on this surface that's just maybe eight by eight feet. It was really cool, a couple pitches up. And there was this process of getting from the bottom to the top, and, and it wasn't so immediate like that. And also while we were there, this is a picture of me. Has anyone ever been to Sedona, Arizona? Sedona? What are some observations about Sedona? Just give me one. Fast? Sedona is fast. Vast. Yes, okay, vast. All right, vast. Okay, so Sedona is vast. How about like the town? Someone over here has been there. Did you go walking around in the shops or anything? Yeah? What was going on there? Lots of cool stuff? Yeah, when I went there, there was tons of like wizard shops and crystal shops and uh, like rocks and gems and Reiki and all of these things. I was like, man, that's kind of different. And there's this big tourist thing slash spiritual pilgrim thing that people do in Sedona. And they're called vortexes. Has anyone ever heard of a vortex? It's a... It's a supposedly a massive spiral of energy, just like a tornado or a hurricane, and you can locate these vortexes in the world, and the energy is just spiraling there, and the epicenter of energy is powerful, and you can be regrounded and recentered. And so you can go into Sedona and get a map to which vortexes are there, and you can go visit these vortexes. So after my sister and I went climbing, we were kind of tired, we said, we should go visit a vortex. So we did, of course, and knowing full well that Christ is the king, the author and sustainer, the perfecter, in him all things were created and in him all things hold together. We went to this vortex and there are people going up and just having these very spiritual experiences. And one thing you will learn about me if you spend enough time is I'm very open to learning new things and encountering truth maybe where I haven't encountered before as long as I can verify and trust it against the spirit and community and the word. And so I was really hoping to experience something really neat at this vortex. So I went up to this vortex, and it's it's a rock, and you just are supposed to be able to feel this energy. Um, There's people walking up like, I can already feel it. It's so strong. Can you? I need to go a little closer, I think. (laughs) So my sister and I spent about 40 minutes uh, just sitting, that's me on the right, sitting on this rock trying to feel the vortex, and it was very relaxing I did not feel the vortex. So here's the, two, here's the two sides here. Over here, you guys are going to represent... I'm sorry, I switched it like this. So over here, you guys are going to represent salvation is a process. It's kind of like rock climbing. You need some gear. You need some tools. You're going to ascend up to the top of somewhere. Then maybe you might come back down. Maybe you'll go visit a vortex. Salvation is a process. Okay? Maybe I explained that well. Maybe not. I don't know. You guys are going to represent salvation occurs in an instant when you say the prayer and invite Christ into your heart, you're saved. Does this make sense? So let's split the line down right here. And take a few minutes to answer the question, how long does salvation take? Use scripture, use personal experience, all that. Ready? Go. All right. Let's hear some ideas from the, uh, 
the instant. Salvation takes an instant. Or however long it takes to pray the prayer of a sinner, that's how long salvation takes. Yeah. Hold on just a sec. Okay, I think really it's a, um, it's a case-by-case scenario. You know, some people, the entire process to that moment of salvation, salvation is a moment. You can't be, like it was said, 54% saved, you know, that you are either saved or you're not saved. So I think the whole process up to that point, it can be a long, drawn-out process for some people, like that woman that you encountered, you know, uh, or some people, as soon as they meet Christ, it's instant, you know? Like they instantly accept him. That makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay. Case by case. Really? How about from the instant side? Salvation is like this. Yes. <laughs> Hi. Okay. Um, so we were talking, we were kind of in the line, so I'm sitting on the instant side. Um, and I kind of think I've always believed that, that we had a little bit of debate over maybe what sanctification means, because if you look at the steps of salvation, then maybe you know, from conversion to glorification, we said might be a process. But I will say that in my mind, I've kind of always believed that once I ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life, then I have all those things in me. I am holy. I do have spiritual gifts in me. I have the ability to turn away from sin. I am forgiven, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if I died in like a minute, then all would be good. I'm going to heaven. And the process of living and filling, you know, living out your salvation, of course, I think life is the, the process, not so much salvation, the process. Sure, that's great. Really good, thank you. Okay, how about from the process side? Salvation, it can't possibly happen in one second. It's more than that. Process, people. Well, I'm holding the microphone, so I might as well say something. Okay. So the Apostle Paul often in the uh, New Testament refers to salvation as a marriage. He refers to the church as being the bride of Christ. You don't go to sleep one day and suddenly find yourself married. It doesn't just boom happen. Do. And, and I'm, I'm going I'm to... I know some people wish that would happen, but it, it doesn't, uh, except maybe in the movies. I, I'm going I'm to pick on uh, Tebow and Lebs here. Uh, they're engaged. But they didn't suddenly just find themselves engaged. They met each other, they fell in love, they got engaged, and they'll be married this summer. Oh. I'm sure that gets your heart going there, Bobby. Good, great. I'm but but, but <clears throat> to, to further illustrate that, so it's a process that they are going through as a couple, and I would say that's, that's the way it is with salvation. Yes, there is that moment where it instantaneously happens, but I think there's a build-up to it. Okay, so there's a build-up, there is the moment, and then you're married still throughout life. That's great, you use marriage as an a illustrator. I think I might talk about that a little bit later. Process people. Was this kind of challenging to think about it in that way as a process? A little bit? Process, one more. Anyone? Yeah. Go ahead. A lot of research on this to find out, like, when you look in the Bible, I don't think that you find too many instances of the sinner's prayer. There's lots of different ways that people get saved. It's not necessarily one moment it doesn't seem like it like the guy that was next to Jesus on the cross all he did was recognize Jesus he didn't say oh I've sinned and I'm sorry and forgive me and come into my heart mm-hmm. and then also a lot of people or a number of people in church history have also believed in universalism which completely throws out the whole I'm saved in one moment before I wasn't and now I am so some people believe that everyone is saved 
Sure. So there's a lot of different ways to view it. Okay. Good. Uh, let's go back to Joe's definition of salvation for us real quick. Um, I would like to suggest, you guys talked about sanctification a lot in terms of the process. I would like to suggest that sanctification, at least this component, is a process. You are continually being sanctified, continually being made holy in Christ. And if this is our working definition of salvation, that we have conversion, we are justified, we are sanctified, and we are glorified, uh, some people might argue that this can't happen in an instant. There's no way you can simultaneously convert be justified, be fully sanctified into holiness, and be glorified. Right? Joe also did this. He slashed out the two in the middle, and he said, we focus a lot on conversion and glorification. We focus a lot on the moment of profession of faith, or when our eyes are open that we need Christ, and we focus a lot on entering into the rewards of our faith, especially maybe heaven. I heard one of you say, that, you know, I believe it's a, it's a moment and I live out my faith and work out my sanctification, but if I were to die, it's okay because I'm going to heaven. I'll be glorified in heaven. And then Joe made a really interesting comment and he said, I would like to, he talked about Rob Bell and Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, and he said, I really like this part. He didn't say he liked all the parts. I, I like this part about Love Wins, Rob Bell's book, is Rob does a great job of separating his soteriology from his eschatology. Look at that graphic. Jesus knocking on the door of your heart and the end times. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to separate soteriology, again, like Joe has done already, from eschatology. We're going to separate our understanding of the end times and maybe what's going to come when Christ returns from what we believe about salvation. Now, let's go back a sec here. That doesn't mean we're not talking about glorification because glorification is part of our working definition of salvation, right? We're entering into the rewards of Christ, maybe even separately from the end times. So I want to talk a little bit a sec about the kingdom of God. Over and over in the scripture, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And there's mentions of heaven and Gehades and all these things. But this verse says, I tell them, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. And that verse I have always kind of jumped on past um, because it makes me think some of the apostles and people thought for sure the glorification of us and the second return of Christ, it's going to be in our lifetime. The apostles thought that and people have thought that every generation up until where we are now. And there are people who believe right now, today, this is... We're in the time that Christ is coming. It's going to be this year. It's going to be in this generation. He's coming. And that, that could very well be true. But this verse really screws me up because Jesus says, there's some people standing right here with me who, not just one person, but some, who before they even die, they're going to see that the kingdom of God, not that it's coming one day, but that it has come. And so I would like to shift our perspective a little bit. Just, just ride with me on this train to think about the holistic kingdom of God here and now and in the future, as well as maybe heaven and hell, and separate that a little bit. Luke says the same thing. So here's a, I'm going I'm to use this whiteboard and geek out for a sec. I hope you can see it. Um, one way of thinking about the kingdom of God is like this. We've got earth. Can you guys see this okay? We have us, and then we have heaven. Um, these are angels. 
muscles. Okay, we have the kingdom of God up here in heaven, and then we have earth, which is this broken place that is, is kind of going to go to the wayside when it burns, and then we're going to go to the kingdom of God in heaven. That's one way of thinking about it. And another way of thinking about the kingdom of God, this is one way of thinking about it, remember, is kind of like this. This line would represent um, Christ, his work on the cross, okay? Right here. And so before, this is, this is a time scale, so we have past, present, B.C., I guess, and A.D. One way of looking at the kingdom would be like this. The kingdom of God, when Jesus said the kingdom has come, there's a way of living in the world before Christ had come. And is far separated from the ways of the kingdom. Maybe even the law represents that in some ways, that we're not fully able to, to be glorified through the law. Paul talks a lot about this. And when Christ, come, he did some, Christ came, he did something that makes it so the kingdom has now come. And maybe it's not yet here all the way. So there's two ways of kind of living. One is to continue in the way of the world before Christ came. And the other would be to be saved, to be converted, and to be made holy, kind of like this. So we are increasingly growing in the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is here, Christ said. It's here. And it's coming. Not yet. And this opens up our perspective a lot. I know I'm, I'm going to give you guys a chance to give feedback here, but this opens up our perspective a lot about heaven and hell and the kingdom of God to talk about what's our role in the world at the earth. If the kingdom of God is here and now but not yet, that changes the way I think a little bit about uh, the environment maybe, um, about the way I treat people here and now, the way I treat my body here and now. If if I'm a Christ follower and I have seen that the kingdom of God has come in power here and now, that makes me reorient my understanding of salvation a little bit. Are you guys picking up what I'm putting down here? A little bit? Okay, so maybe you're still in uh, observation mode, but take a few seconds and think through this for a sec, and I want to hear some feedback on this kingdom of God perspective versus heaven get saved, one day go to heaven perspective. What's some feedback you have? Observations, questions? Things that don't sit right. Maybe it feels kind of funky to you. Maybe you're like, yes, finally. Yeah. Hold on just one sec. If of God is here and now, what would that mean for him having to come and make all things right? And why would there still be really hard things? Um, why is the earth still broken if the kingdom of God has come? And like, how is that played out? And it seems like a lot of people would argue things are getting worse. Um, there's definitely arguments things are getting better, but what does that mean if God's already here? Great question. So if the kingdom of God is here, then why fill in the blank? Great. Thank you. Now that's out in the air because we're all thinking it, I think, I hope. All right. One, one other observation. Anyone just have something like, ugh. Yeah. Um, I, I was just thinking, even looking at uh, the graph that you drew, um, maybe to answer sort of why do things look like we're getting worse, um, if you look at the line going up, representing us as Christians, maybe this is us separating away from the world, and our perspective of the world is getting worse and worse, whereas maybe the world has kind of stayed the same uh, evil, only we're you know, kind of transcending in God. Okay, that makes sense. sure. 
So maybe the line represents less the kingdom of God and more us. That's what I hear hearing you right. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe we're entering more and more into the kingdom of God and the ways of the kingdom are becoming more and more a part of us as we go. Um, okay, ready? I'm going to get a little bit pushy here. Uh, here's one way of thinking about conversion and salvation is that there's this process, the conversion, justification, and at some point you cross the ring, the barrier, and you're in. You are saved. You're in. You're in the cloud of happiness with Christ, or maybe just you're saved. You go through these steps, or something happens, God illuminates your heart that you're a sinner. You need to be saved. You say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. I receive you by grace. Amen. You're in. That's one way of thinking about it. Another good way to represent this way of thinking about it is called the angle scale. Has everyone ever heard of the angle scale before? It's a simple tool that someone came up with, and it's typically much more complex than this. So I've oversimplified the angle scale dramatically here. But essentially, this is what the angle scale says. People in the world are on a spectrum from negative 10 to positive 10-ish. And negative 10 is the farthest thing you can be from positive 10, obviously. It represents heathens. It represents people who would be not just far from Christ, but not even any profession that there might be a Christ or a God. They're just far away. Positive 10 would be like fully glorified, fully made new, made completely holy, maybe in heaven from one perspective, or made new from another perspective, or the same. So there's the angle scale. And zero represents conversion. So zero would go right about here, right at that border of the yellow line there. You're converted. You're made whole in Christ. You're holy. You're fully holy because you've been redeemed. That would be zero. And, and Joe was kind of getting on this, but I would like to suggest that in in our culture, there might be a little bit of an overemphasis on the steps from negative one to zero. So getting people to profess that Christ and convert, is, we do a really pretty good job of at least emphasizing that. We got to get people saved quick, which is true. We do. Here's another way of thinking about it. Here's another model. And this takes away the linear model, the timeline model. Where you say, first you have a confession of sin on the angle scale. First you need to admit that there is a God. And then you need to... And this would be a little bit more like my friend in Malaysia who somehow is coming at Jesus from all these different angles. And maybe she understands repentance over here. And maybe she understands repentance. And so you can come at Christ from all these different ways. And then at some point you're in. And then even another scale would go like this. We're coming at Christ from different perspectives and approaches. Maybe I grew up Native American, and I have been learning this strict obedience to deity and worshiping deity so well. And at some point, I realize, oh, the deity that is true is Christ, the one true God. And that's my process of getting there. Maybe I grow up in church, and I confess and repent and am baptized. And finally, when I'm 58, I am slammed in front of my face with the realization of my sinful nature and that I'm broken and come to a full knowledge of my need for Christ. Maybe that's a process. So this is another model, okay, to think about. So here's a question for you. What is the Christ follower's role? I assume that many of us in this room would call ourselves Christ followers or Christians. What is our role in the salvation of others? What is our role in the salvation of others? This is your discussion question at your table, okay? Ready, go. What is the role of us as Christ followers in the salvation of other human beings inhabiting this earth? What is our role as Christ followers? What did you guys say? Yes. 
right here. Uh, just to be an example by, you know, trusting the Lord and showing that, like, no matter, like, you can feel pain, you know, by you know, being an example, but just showing that you have faith and, you know, giving, being compassionate and loving to ever, ever, anyone. To be an example. So our role is to be an example. Okay. Great. Cool. What else? What's our role as Christ followers? What about when the word says, how will they know if no one has said to them? In Romans, you know what I'm talking about? What is our role as Christ followers in the salvation of others? Yeah. So we discussed a little bit, um, if you're looking at it in a linear perspective, before salvation, I think our role is to not only be the example, but share why we are the way that we are. Because it does say preach and tell. Because they need to understand, you know, what is it that they're going towards? Some people, you need to explain it to them directly. Hey, you know, I believe in Christ, and this is why I'm the way I am. Because without okay. that, then you're just a really good person, and there's okay. a lot of really good people. Cool. And then with that, encourage and disciple. Yeah. So be an example and share why. I'm, I'm uh, committed to not being drunk every weekend because I believe this, or, you know, you give the, the next step, the why. Okay, cool. Those are good answers. Uh, let's look back. Joe was saying we sort of emphasize really conversion and glorification. Get saved so you can go to heaven. Um, so here's all four of them again. And for a second, let's, let's take rid of glorification for a moment. Just, just for a moment, let's get rid of that one. And let's also get rid of conversion for a second. I know. And let's look at the other two, justification and sanctification. The process of being made holy and that thing that happens that's just as if I'd never sinned. In answering this question, what is our role as Christ followers in the salvation of others, using this working definition of salvation, I think it's safe for me to even cross out justification. Ah! Now there's another goober, that's me. And the reason is this, because... you search the Bible, search the Word, that's okay. Do what, do what you need to do to confirm this in your heart or deny this in your heart. But justification is something that is done by the work of Christ on the cross and by His Holy Spirit in us. And I don't think we have too much of a role in justifying other people before God. Okay, are we pretty, can we agree kind of loosely on that at least? So what I would like to focus on then is sanctification, just for the last couple of minutes, and propose to you um, that one of the major roles we have as Christ followers is to help others become sanctified in Christ. Now, I need to be very clear about something. One thing I'm very good at and passionate about is evangelism. I love to present the gospel and its clarity to people and see the transformation that happens when their worldview and their paradigm shifts that uh, there is a God or that this world is going to be redeemed one day and actually is in the process of all things being reconciled back to Christ. I love that. And I also love to think about what the new heaven and new earth is going to be like. So all of these things, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and just saying sanctification, that's our only role. However, I would like to shift some of that overemphasis maybe on the angle scale from getting people from not saved to saved or from getting people from outside the circle to inside the circle and suggest that maybe we can continue to emphasize the process of being made holy. Someone talked about marriage earlier, and I have a friend, his name's Mark, he's one of my mountaineering buddies, buddies and he, uh, he's very analytical, he's a genius, 
really, he is a genius. Uh, he took a year off from school to go climbing and stuff, and he came back for his first year of college and signed up for the hardest math class that CU Boulder offers and graduated top in the class with over 100%. So he's a freak. Um, but I, I got engaged right before this year, and I, I told Mark that I was going to propose to my now wife, Brooke, when we were in Ecuador climbing. And he just looks at me and goes, hmm, cool, man. I hear that's a step towards sanctification. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. But it is. Marriage is to be a picture of our relationship with Christ, right? And as a husband, we represent the role of the Christ head. And the example he gives us is to go to the cross and die a blameless death. (laughs) Marriage. (laughs) Yes. And marriage is one of the covenantal institutions that God gives us as a picture, not only of our relationship with Christ, but as a as a tool to continue to be sanctified. There's not a ton of room to be selfish within marriage, at least not successfully selfish within marriage. So I love sanctification. And I want to end with kind of this phrase, a couple more things, but I think the role of a Christ follower that we can continue to grow in and develop in as we keep conversion in the forefront of our mind, as we keep glorification and justification and confession and repentance and the things that fit into the working definition that gave Joe that Joe gave us, as we keep those in our mind, we can also seek to inspire others towards Christ. So as a Christ follower, I think one of our primary roles is to seek to inspire others towards Christ. This would go a little bit more along the model. um, Yeah, that's fine. A little more like this. Here's Jesus, and there's people from all different perspectives all over the world. And when we travel around the world and when we go to school and we meet new people, we want to seek to inspire them towards Christ, which, mean, which means maybe they're very disciplined and very committed in their lifestyle, but they're looking this way. And we want to say, great, continue to be committed and disciplined. Just look this way at Christ. Or maybe they're looking at Christ from over here, and they're looking at him, they're professing him, but their life is not very disciplined and there's things going on. You can say, bro, you're doing good, but to go towards Christ would also mean to celebrate the disciplines and and be disciplined that way. So I would just suggest that a role of the Christ follower, one role that we can take up and continue to grow in, is to inspire others towards Christ. And knowing that justification is a large, largely the role of the Holy Spirit and of Christ on the cross, we can kind of lift that burden back to Christ and say, Lord, when people are converting, it's actually up to you to touch their heart and open their eyes. There's really nothing I can do to convince my friend who lives in Denver, and I've, we've had this conversation, that he's a sinner. At some point, his eyes need to be illuminated. We've had great philosophical arguments. We've had great theological discussions. But at some point, Holy Spirit, you have got to open his eyes and change his heart and bring him and draw him towards you. And in the meantime, in part of his salvation, I can inspire him towards you. By being an example, by giving him good reasons why my example is this way. So here we go. I'm going to end with a joke. Forgive me if I told this joke uh, at the last time that I talked here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I did. Um, here's a picture of a man and a person. Let's call the man Jesus, and let's call the person anyone. Um, so Jesus and this man. Here's what's going on. Paul and Peter are at the gates of heaven, and they're checking people off the list who have been converted and saved who are written in the book of life, and people are entering the gate, through the narrow gate, of course, 
And they're checking off the list. John Smith, yep, you're on the list. And another apostle comes running over. Who did I say? James and Peter? Is that what I said? John comes running over. It doesn't really matter who. John comes running over and says, guys, this is not right. There are too many people in heaven. The numbers are not lining up. We're, we're off here. Our checks and balances are not working. So John goes away and he comes back and says, I have found the problem. Jesus is sneaking people in through the gate. He's lifted up the fence and he's letting people in who are not on the list. Now, I, I don't want to just say that everyone gets into heaven because I don't, I don't actually think that's true. I, I really want to believe that's true. Um, I do. My conviction right now is that it's, that's not true. But I don't want to just say this joke because it's a happy idea. Uh, Romans 9 is one of the most perturbing chapters in the Bible to me, and I wrestle over this over and over, and we're talking about Israel and Pharaoh being used as an object of wrath, and Lord, how can you be this way? And there's this reference to Hosea in Romans 9 that says, in Hosea it says, I will call the people who, let me just read it, I'm going to butcher it here. In Romans 9, He's talking about Jews and Gentiles and who's getting in and who's getting out. And he says, in Hosea it says, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And it will happen in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people. They will be called sons of the living God. And this is, there's some context here, okay? So he's not just saying everyone who's not in is now in. You need to, you need to investigate this further. But to me, this is just saying... God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts, and his ways are higher than my, my ways. And, and he's good, and he's sovereign. And maybe he will sneak someone in one day who I haven't converted. And in the meantime, I can inspire others towards Christ. Yes? Okay. Finally, um, one way to think about salvation is, rather than Joe got saved on Friday, we could say something like, Joe is in the process of being redeemed. Greg is in the process of being reconciled to Christ fully and glorified in him. And actually, we can think about that in a larger context of me and Joe and you guys and the whole world, including the trees and sticks and rocks and dirt and animals and Indians and India and Chinese people in China and Europeans who are so far from Christ, it seems, statistically. They are in the process of being redeemed. And maybe they've turned away. And perhaps our role is to help turn them back towards Christ so that he can continue to work on their heart. So lots of thoughts. Thank you guys for listening today. I'm going to end with these two verses. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So Lord, we we thank you for these ideas. And we thank you that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And Lord, I pray that anything that people heard in their hearts or minds that was of you today, they would hold on to and learn and grow. And anything that isn't would just fall away right now. Father, help us to live such good lives, just like we were talking about with the example and the reasoning of why this example is this way. Help us to live such good lives among those who are far from you, that though they may accuse us of being wrong at this point, they will see your good works and glorify you on the day you visit us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.